Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin, the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bazzara. I'm your host. And today I have with us Charlotte Swansea of Riverview Farms in Ranger, Georgia. How are you doing today, Charlotte? I'm great. How are you, Justin? I'm doing very well. Uh, it's bright and early here in Colorado. I got my coffee going and I'm half awake, but you know, that's the farm life. I, uh, I myself grew up on a horse farm, which is probably much different than the farm we're talking about with you and Riverview Farms. And if I'm correct, I believe you guys um, do work with Pine Street Market. Is that correct? Yes, we do. And that's how we sort we of do. got in communication. So I do want to get into that in this episode. And actually, Pine Street Markets, episode five, for anyone that's listening in and wants to go back and look at it, uh, with Rusty Bowers. And it's actually one of our most popular episodes. I believe it has the third most downloads and streams of all the episodes we released so far. So that's pretty impressive. Um, but anyway, so Charlotte, tell us a little bit about how you got into farming and, and how you became an entrepreneur and, and sort of the things you guys do on Riverview Farms? Well, let's see. When I was um, at University of Georgia uh, finishing up my chemistry degree, I uh, met my husband who was also in the chemistry department and um, we would go visit his family's farm and it's a beautiful place and his dad was growing commodity crops at that time, corn and soybeans and wheat, and he was about to lose the farm. And because the prices, this was in 1999. So commodity farmers were really struggling. So and about that time in Georgia, organic was taking off. So the organic certified organic idea and direct marketing thing was just fledgling markets at that time. But after visiting the farm, I thought it was tragic that there was nothing that could be done to save it. Um, and so I convinced my husband, <laughs> we were just newlyweds, to move to the farm and let's try to save it and, and, and do something different. Um, and, uh, so we immediately started growing vegetables, and we got certified organic on some of the land that you know, his dad hadn't farmed in a while. And we began doing little markets, this one little market in Atlanta. And at that time, restaurants were just catching on to buying local produce and, and things like that. And so we started direct marketing everything directly to chefs, and, and then after growing vegetables for a few years, I said, you know, we, we, we need animals again. All of this requires animals. And so we, we decided to raise pigs again. His dad had been in the pig business back in the 80s, um, and the price of pork dropped in the 90s, so he got out of it. So we had the infrastructure there to do pigs again. But we wanted to do heritage breed pigs. And so um, we started raising some Berkshires and some other, you know, um, heritage pigs and uh, started experimenting with the different chefs around town, around Atlanta. We're about an hour from Atlanta, so it makes doing, um, doing deliveries and doing fresh meat very easy. So our location of our farm is, is we're fortunate in that 
capacity. So we started selling to the chefs and um, it just kind of bloomed and grew and we evolved and added beef. And so we've been doing this now for 19 years. Okay. And, uh, I actually have a question just because I want to go back and I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you in the middle of it, but can you, uh, cause we don't have, we haven't actually talked about it on this podcast, although, um, we've had some conversations about organic, but you mentioned there was soil that was unused and that it had, um, that you were able to get it certified organic. So let's talk about what organic actually means. And in how you get some a piece of land certified organic, because I think there's a really deep question there that I find just personally, I find hugely interesting. So when you first become certified organic, if your farm has been farmed, you have to spend, you have to take a transition period. It takes three years uh, for it to transition into organic. And what that means is you have to farm uh, the land transitionally and you farm it, keep your records, do everything organically, but you can't yet sell it as certified organic. So um, on some of the crop lands that we were phasing into organic um, at that time, we started selling those commodity crops as transitional, but we had upland that he hadn't been farming for never been farmed and so we were able to immediately get those those acres certified organic and then we transitioned the farm pretty quickly thereafter to where it's now all certified organic and has been for 19 years so that's how you kind of you have to kind of transition your crops in there and so when a farmer wants to become certified organic you have to look at the land look at the past management practices and document that. And then if they've never been farmed, you can go ahead and put it in certified organic. If not, you have to wait the three years. And so who's the authority in Georgia then that comes in? Do you, I mean, I assume they test the soil. Is that how they make sure that it's organic over the three years? And, <laughs> well, and so are you regulated then on a regular basis to be certified organic? We're we're inspected every year. We do we do soil samples. The uh, the certifier we use uh, is out of Florida, and um, they come and inspect once a year. You have to keep records of your farm plan. What are you, you know, everything that you do, you have to keep records of it. What fertilizer, you know, manures. When did you apply your manure? When did you? Um, where did you buy your seed? Were they organic seed? Um, and what, you know, did you apply any fungicides? Those types of, every little thing you do has to be documented. And you have to do crop rotations. And when your certifier and your, your inspector comes to inspect you, you have to show them all your records and your receipts. And, you know, it, it's a mountain of paperwork. <laughs> just like but, uh, so it's more it's like an audit i guess in some ways and and the other part of the food service world is that we sort of we call them audits but it's where they go through all of our temperature logs and all of our tracking and where everything comes from and what farm it comes from and and all of that so i love this topic because 
I think it's so important um, that people really understand what it takes to be organic and why it costs more, at least right now, and why if we demand more of it, we can actually balance things out and bring more organics into our households because it's just such a better way of farming and what you guys are doing. And it's just such a healthier way of consuming food um, as human beings. And it's and it's really the best practices, in my opinion, and being in food for my entire life, basically, is that um, the human body just does better with that type of food. And when you buy food closer to home that's sustainably grown, it's, you know, it's out of the ground less amount of time. It's off the tree a less amount of time. So the nutritional value of it is actually doesn't deplete just like it goes rotten the same thing happens with the nutrition as we're we're finding out uh, at least in my part of the business so i think it's amazing that you guys are doing it and so my question is this can you take the the manure from the pigs and from the cows and then reuse that for the vegetables or does it have to go through well, a certain process i know well you have to apply it at least 120 days before harvest um, unless you keep meticulous composting records and turn it. Um, but we do utilize our manure. We apply it well over 120 days before we harvest any of our crops. And, um, but cause we have a full circle farm. So we, we try to utilize, we, we grow the corn that feeds the pigs and the pigs fertilize the, the corn. So it's a, we try to keep as much as possible, you know, on the farm as we can and um so that all of that benefits soil health and animal health and people health um and, and so that's just how we look at our farm and we, we do our farm and but, i uh, i think that's yeah. amazing so i i want to i'm, I'm going to come back to the full circle farming thing because i i love it and i and i think it's hugely interesting for the audience to know and understand what it takes and the effort that you guys put in but um you mentioned heritage pigs uh and raising heritage pigs and berkshire uh heritage pigs so you know Let's talk about pigs a little bit. We again, we haven't talked about it on this podcast, but the different variations of pigs and why. And I know they're the best quality pigs, but why you chose those type of pigs, and you know why they're, in most opinions, the best type of pigs to to grow and and raise, and then obviously consume. Well, in, in choosing and selecting the breeds that we chose, we were looking. We were talking to the chefs and what they were looking for, and we we tried different different pigs to see how what was the eating quality of these different breeds of pigs. Um, Berkshire has a beautiful coloration in their meat; it's just red, almost like beef, just deep, beautiful red color, and there's um, nice marbling in the meat, so the fat's intramuscular, and um, it just the eating quality of that breed is just phenomenal. Um, and so we also do a Duroc as well. They have really good um, eating qualities and um, they, you know, the mothering abilities. So we look at how these, cause we, we raise the pharaoh to finish, that we actually have mama, mama pigs, you know, and not just buying feeder pigs and feeding them out. We actually do it from birth 
until we take them to the slaughterhouse. Um, some farms will just buy feeder pigs. But um, in, in selecting the breeding, we, we are looking at mothering abilities and, um, and eating qualities. And those, the Berkshires are just a really good breed for that. Um, and we just really like the eating. They, they're so good. <laughs> the flavor is just so amazing. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think most consumers don't understand the difference in pork products because you just, it's not like at the store they really identify it in most grocery stores. It's just a pork chop or bacon. You, they don't always identify where it's come, what kind of pig it's coming from, you know, what kind of farming it's coming from, and things like that. Although I'm hoping we're going to a world where we get more specific because the quality in pork and in beef. And in fruits and vegetables is so different. And, uh, you know, we do label organics in the grocery stores. It's the smallest section by far of the vegetables and fruits. But it's uh, compared to the other sections of fruits and vegetables. But I think that it's so important that we actually diversify our palate in food and try different types of pork and different types of beef because, I mean... You don't get what you guys are, are producing at a normal grocery store. So if someone goes out and gets it, you know, at Pine Street Market or the Chop Shop um, there in Atlanta, Georgia, I mean, it's a different, the quality and the taste and the texture is so amazing. Like, it's really high quality. So I love what you guys are doing there uh, with the pigs. That's why I wanted to ask and tell the audience because it's just different. So, I mean... Let's continue the pig conversation again because I'm just so fascinated. And um, so then the pigs, you grow the food that's fed to the pigs on the farm. So, you know, what type of food do they eat? Um, and, and how do you, you know, how old does a pig get before it's time to go to be butchered in order, you know, what's the right timing? And then you mentioned also that you, um, you birth pigs, I believe, on the farm and breed. Um, so are, is yeah. that part of the process? So tell us about that and, and how that all works. And is there like a, I know I grew up on a horse farm, so you're going to have to excuse my terms. Um, but is there a <laughs> stallion pig that, that has like the best, <laughs> the boar, the boar. Yeah, yeah, there the you boar. go. The boar that, uh, that is the best one that, that is for breeding. So tell us about that. Cause I think it's so fascinating. <laughs> well, that's there's a whole lot there. So, you know, are we going to talk about breeding? Yep, if let's talk about breeding. breeding. We, so we, uh, when when we're looking at meat pigs, which is you know you're looking for the carcass that's going to do the best, and and um, sometimes and there's the show pig world, which is you know it's kind of like show dogs. Those pigs are not necessarily the best for breeding. So we've had a hard time finding breed stock that didn't come from the show pig world. Um, we have to find boars that actually know how to, <laughs> how to work. Um, because in the industry, uh, most of the pigs are artificially inseminated. Um, they're not actually getting to do what pigs love to do. Um, you have a human doing all the, um, 
taking semen and you know putting it into the the female pig. Um, but on our farm, the pigs get to to work. They get to have fun, and so um, they get to make bacon. Board, they have to they have to be able to to, to do the job. Yeah, <laughs> and so um, yeah, that's what been there in the pasture and they get to roam around and 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 do their pig thing um so we 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 let pigs express themselves in nature <laughs> uh, no and i think that's a an amazing thing and it's a you know it's a much happier lifestyle for the animals um just being able to do that and and it happens naturally versus forcing it uh, obviously, which yeah. what you do through artificial insemination. Um, and I know that, uh, same with the horses, like you had artificial insemination and you had just letting it be the way it was. And so, um, you know, it's interesting. And I think it's so important that, you know, the pigs are out there and I assume they're all, in, I, are they pasture raised? Is that the proper term? Yeah, they are pasture raised. Um, they do spend like a, the last month. We kind of keep them, keep them a little less pastured so that they can not run off. You know, you want them to stay kind of eating all the time. So we had to have a little spa for them, but um, <laughs> they still have access to roam and, and do their thing. But you just kind of limit their range. Um, but yeah, they pigs are just fascinating, amazing, amazing creatures. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, and they come in so many different sizes and shapes and breeds. I mean, people don't realize. I mean, there's probably as many. I don't know if it's true or not, but there's like, it's like dog breeds or cats. Uh, there's so many different kinds, so it's uh, pretty there's interesting. There's so many different kinds. Some of them are really fatty. Some of them are really lean. And, and, you know, they're not really white meat, and they're not supposed to taste like chicken. Um you know, some have, some are better for bacon, some are better for lard, um, some have better hams. Um, I mean, it's, it's just a, it's really, they're incredible animals. I know the diversity and, you know, there's all sorts of different kinds and, and people's palates and all that. And, but I love what you guys are doing. So let's now that we've sort of gotten the pasture race so talk to me about what you mean by full circle farming uh just i mean as much detail as possible how you do it on your farms and let's use the pigs as the example just because that seems to be where my fascination is going so i'm just going to lead the audience towards the pigs and well like so this time of year we'll have um we'll have taken all their will have already taken their manure uh, back in like January and spread it over the field that we're going to uh, grow the corn for the pigs to eat on. So this time of year, we're spending time getting the fields prepped to grow corn uh, for the pigs to eat, just about 100 acres. And so the pigs are enjoying themselves outdoors and, and, um, the mama pigs are raising up their piglets that they've just hatched out and we'll be weaning some soon. And, um, and then, you know, as, this, as we progress through the summer, we're growing 
growing their crops. We're growing the crops for pigs. We're growing the crops for the people that are going to eat vegetables. Um, and around the fall, it's time to harvest all the, all the corn that the pigs are going to be living on. And then that goes into a bin. Um, we also do cows, too. So we have cows grazing all year on the pastures, managing the grasslands maintaining the soil health. Um, it takes all these animals to help you manage the farm. And then, uh, and then meanwhile, the people are trying to manage all the pigs. And then, uh, and then we have to harvest the pigs on a weekly basis. We take them to the slaughterhouse once a week. And um, we, have to sell them. we sell weekly fresh meat to chefs and individuals and Pine Street and the chop shop. Um, it's pretty simple. What we do is pretty simple. The animals fertilize and manage the land, and we manage <laughs> the manure and the animals. That's our pretty simple circle, and we feed thousands of people every week off of um, what we do. Um, how many uh, how many acres do you guys have? Uh, we farm about, we do rent some land as well, but we farm about a thousand acres total. But most of that, most of that is pasture. And then, but we do probably about a couple hundred acres of row crops to feed the animals. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that, um, Pine Street Market, when they won the category for best condiment for their Pine Street Market bacon jam, that that's your pig's bacon in it as well. I just want to make a side that's note. That's our said. pig, yeah. Yeah, so um, as, again, back to episode five and Rusty Powers, but he did win the best condiment uh, category at Flavor of Georgia this year, and um, I just wanted to make a note to the audience that that was your uh, bacon or your pig's bacon in the uh, in the category, so or in the bacon jam for, that helped win that category, so I thought it was awesome. I was a judge there, and I did absolutely love the bacon jam, and I love the whole concept of what you guys are doing on your farm and how it actually carries over to what Rusty's doing, which is don't waste anything, reuse everything full circle, as we just talked about, which is why I wanted to talk about the bacon jam also, is because he had bits and pieces left over from the whole bacon he was using, and he didn't want to throw it away or waste food, so he created a bacon jam you know, one, you don't want to lose anything in, in the food business because loss is money. But the real thing is, is he didn't want to waste food. So I thought that was pretty amazing also. Um, just as a yeah. side note. Yeah, it's, it's a great partnership because, you know, he gets some of the best, he gets the best pork, and then he turns it into some of the best, you know, charcuterie and the bacon jam and he won an award for his bacon as yeah. well so it's it's um it's a really great full circle yeah and he has great sausage products um as well uh again from your pigs and as well as the bacon he was in flavor georgia for that as well and that was a phenomenal product i remember and you know so it's just such a cool thing to now you know, because of the for the audience, and 
and I want to ha- have both you guys back on. I've talked to Rusty about this, but when because you guys have now combined to do a joint venture, which is the the Chop Shop in Atlanta, which is really awesome in my opinion. You've taken the chef and and the butcher um, shop, which was Rusty's, but combined it into a better concept in in you guys sharing sort of the profitability of your farm and of his, you know, I want to say restaurant, but it's more than that. Uh, so I don't know how to describe it. It's like a butcher shop, but you can eat there and it's a, it's an incredible concept. So how did you, I mean, we'll talk about it more on another episode, but I want to give a little teaser. I mean, when was it Rusty's idea to come to you guys or is it something you guys just talked about? Hey, you know, we can make more money off of our animals and our products if we go straight to the consumer. So tell me a little bit about how you guys decided to do Chop Shop. Well, yeah, Rusty, we had been working with Rusty and um, how did we, that even come to pass? I think we, we, we were just talking about how we definitely needed more retail. Uh, I've been doing little farmer's markets for so long, long and farmer markets are great but you only get 50 chance you get 50 chances to get it right because it's only one day a week and it's only four hours so you really don't have much of a chance to get to sell your product and also i couldn't sell fresh products i could only sell um frozen at the farmer's markets, and so i was I mean, after being in business for this long, you you want to be able to sell your product the best way. And so Rusty recognized that, and we just said, well, let's let's do a retail shop. We've, we've got to do it. And here we are, finally, through all the hurdles, we're finally open. <laughs> and I, w- I don't want to dive into any more detail because I really want to do an episode with just the two of you on the shop itself. But I think it's so awesome that you guys did it and came together and brought your two you know, specialties together and your two, um, the things you do best together to form another business and partner and put products out there. Because like I said, I don't think there's your pigs and your cows coming in and meeting Rusty's creativity and, and then also just being available on a retail side and, and doing more of a retail shop. I think it's a great idea. And I have not been to the chop shop yet. Deborah and I are definitely going to get there one of these days on our trips to Atlanta, but hopefully soon, <laughs> hopefully before we do the episode. So I have a little information to talk about, but it's, um, it's really cool that you guys did it. So I'm going to backtrack. I just wanted to go off on a side note about that because the bacon jam and not wasting and the full soaker farming, but all, let's talk about all the things that you guys do. What, what, all the products that you grow on the farm, all the animals that you raise, uh, just so the audience has an idea of the complexities of, of your life and being a farming entrepreneur in the way that you guys are. Well, yeah, so we raise pigs. We also raise beef. Um, and we do vegetables. We grow corn and um, to mill into grits is and cornmeal and polenta uh, as well as making you know animal feed for our animals um, and this year we'll be starting a uh, project so 
we stay busy <laughs> on the farm. Uh, what was that project again? Uh, this year? Yes. So this year we're going to be growing some hemp in Tennessee. Uh-huh. Uh, this milk is not not legal to grow yet in Georgia, so we're, we're going to start a hemp project if we don't have enough to do. Um, but we'll be starting that project this summer. Well, being in Colorado, I'm all for that. Um, I think there's a, such a – and <laughs> being a pioneer and you guys figuring it out, I think that's a huge um, – insight because it is the future and it is part of the food world also uh not only from what hemp does but also from the point of view the medicinal purposes that are happening in food because of uh hemp and marijuana and things like that so i actually really love that you guys are doing that and that's that's part of what you're doing and i think um good luck for on that for sure we'll probably have to get you back on and hear all about that adventure uh in a year from now how it turns out yeah, 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 no, definitely. <laughs> and so let's, I want to go back. You said vegetables. So what type of vegetables do you guys grow? Um, what are all the varieties and things like that? Oh, gosh, you name it. We've grown it. I mean, it's from tomatoes to, well, we don't do strawberries anymore. It's way too labor intensive. Uh, and the way the climate's changed, it's difficult to grow strawberry, strawberries for us in our, where we are in Georgia. Um, but we grow tomatoes and sweet corn and field peas. Um, southern pea is something that I just love to grow. Um, watermelons, um, you name it, we grow it. Winter squash, garlic. Our garlic is pretty famous. So, yeah. And so we've been operating a 200 member CSA for, gosh. 19 years now we've been doing a vegetable csa community supported agriculture and so okay let's talk so you you've been farming how long have you actually now you talked about your your husband when you were newlyweds you know going and buying the farm so how long have you been running the farm now and been sort of these organic entrepreneurs have been 20 years i think you said 1999 we've been We'll be married 20 years this year, and we've been farming 19. So, and so. it, it hasn't been all, uh, it hasn't always been the chop shop and, and the growth and that. So, you know, what are some of the hardships yeah. that you've you've had just trying to get this business off the ground or, or going out and getting people to recognize organic products? Well, I mean, for us, it was... We were fortunate when we started. Um, the timing was right for when we started it. And so it wasn't too difficult to get into it or to sell what we had. Because when we started in Atlanta, there wasn't a lot of other farmers doing what we do. And um, so we were able to grow as the chef started getting more involved we were able to grow for them and but I was never really shy I was always willing to just approach a chef and say hey I've got some tomatoes you want to try them um it's probably a little more difficult to get into it now because there are so many farmers doing what we do um but we were fortunate when we started the timing was right and so it wasn't too hard to to do it um the difficult the difficulties that we've run across is with 
some of the missing infrastructure, um, finding a good slaughterhouse close by the farm, uh, finding, you know, doing your own distribution, um, finding good labor, those types of things are always, um, regulations that surround food and meat are always making it a little more cumbersome and difficult. Um, the well, weather really has been our major pitfall in recent years. And so, and that is uh, um, just so the audience coming. knows. I mean, that's because Georgia is being as it's. You've had colder weather than historically normal. There is that correct? Uh, weather. It's really we've had. Um, well, we had really intense storms. We had a tornado that hit us one year. Uh, in, in December, and we have had um, this past year was extremely wet. Um, which is since, you know it didn't rain, it didn't quit raining for months. Uh, so we've had a lot of flooding. We've had a lot of weird droughts. So it's just been extremes. Um, so like one summer it didn't rain for five months. We're fortunate to be on a river so we can irrigate, but yet the weather extremes are um, are what's really swinging out of control uh, for where we are in Georgia. Um, and that makes it difficult. You know, if we have somewhat temperate where you can kind of guess, okay, it might rain for a few weeks, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn dry and we'll be fine. And then it'll rain again, but no, it's, it's more like monsoon, monsoon, drought. And that's hard to, that's really hard to work with. Yeah, I can't, uh, I can't imagine what that would, I mean, it's because it's totally out of your control, number one. And number two, then you're trying to figure out what produce and what items you can grow amongst the variation of the weather, weather patterns. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't even know. I mean, I'd be like, it's like a constant moving target and... I don't know how you guys deal with that. So that's got to be interesting. Well, you have to figure out how to work with other farmers so they can fill in the gaps. And so, you know, you work out different collaborations and, you know, because one farmer might have lost all their tomatoes, but they have a bumper quad of cucumbers. And you just kind of, you know, have to collaborate with other farmers. Because I never look at other farmers as competition. There's so few of us. <laughs> You have to look at it more like how can we all collaborate and help each other through all this difficult stuff. Yeah, understandable. And I think that's um, and something that we've talked about on this podcast where it's not always just because there's a farm down the street in this example that they're competition. Because sometimes, you one, you need competition, one, to fill gaps because it's better for your industry. You know, competition can help build an industry, but it also helps you perform better and, and helps you fill gaps and know what you're good at and what they're good at. And then both sort of, you know, excel there as well. And I find the thing on the Georgia and the weather just interesting as well, because Deborah and I have been working there now for four years. And one of the things we're trying to do there is make sure we work with all of you guys as farmers and getting products directly from the farms, um, you know, into central Georgia to process and turn into food to go, you know, um, 
or package or whatever or wash or whatever needs to be done to go into Georgia schools and Georgia universities and, and Georgia hospitals. So the, you know, the whole Georgia grown program, for example, is, is a big deal. And we've sort of come in because we're trying to centralize all of it and then push it back out because so much Georgia grows so many crops and has so many farmers yet there's for lack of a better term food from other states and Mexico being imported into Georgia even though there's enough in the state of Georgia to really sustain the entire population of Georgia which is about 10 million people so it's one of the things I why well, I love I mean, talking to you guys go ahead it's a distribution problem I mean it's it's the way people the way supermarkets have set up their distribution channels is what creates the problem and supermarkets themselves. Um, supermarkets are convenient. They're wonderful. However, they do create distribution problems. So a farmer in South Georgia may not be anywhere near a distribution channel for Kroger or something like that. So how does he get his stuff to that market and be able to make a living doing it? And, and that's really, that's really the problem. And, you know, how do you solve that? And that's, you know, how do we form a distribution channel in Georgia that is a Georgia distribution hub, you know, and, and, and make that successful? And uh, I think Georgia Drone is, is working to help that. Yeah, and I think um, as, you know, I think as part of what we're doing there in the st- because we've been brought in by the Department of Agriculture and the um, and the Department of Economic Development in the governor's office to actually help do that. And Gary Black, who anyone who doesn't know on the podcast, is the commissioner of the Department of Agriculture, and I believe he's the brains around the whole Georgia Grown program in the first place. I know he has a lot of help in his department, but I believe he's the one who created all of it. I don't know that for a fact, though, but... Um, I don't, I'm not, I, can't, I can't remember when that started. Um, I'll have to look, look that one up. Yeah, but I, I mean, so I just think the whole thing that's going on there for you guys as Georgia farmers is quite incredible. And you're right, it is a logistics problem. It is a, it's a huge logistics problem. And a lot of it is how much food is wasted just because it's not being used or it's not being able to enter into the grocery store chains or into the distribution chains properly because of lack of logistics and, and things like that. School change, even into the school system. Yeah. Um, I remember schools used to have, many of the school lunchrooms would have canning programs in the summer so that people could bring their items to be canned and, and things like that. Those don't exist anymore. Many of the school lunchrooms don't even cook or prepare food. It comes in on a from a big multinational corporation like Aramark or something, and they're not necessarily using local food. So, I mean, there's just so many, there's infrastructure gaps where we we just don't have the infrastructure to to set up and and do what we used to do to support our farmers. It's a big big challenge. I'm totally off on a tangent, but I I like what we're talking about because one of the things (laughs) you just mentioned is like an Aramark or a Sodexo, and what happens with them is they use like big broadliner companies and they get rebates, but that doesn't, and they deal with these big multinational corporations, like you said, or national corporations that they do deals with to get rebates. 
And then, so they distribute all over the country the same products. And, you know, in the schools, it's, okay, here's a tray of mac and cheese. All the person has to do is put it in the oven versus using a cheese that comes from Georgia, you know, to make a mac and cheese. Or how about not frozen hamburgers from, you know, 50 miles away or whatever. That's a bad example. It would be more like 500 miles away. And, um, and actually using fresh ground beef instead of frozen you know, and actually using Georgia ground beef in the school. So it is something that, you know, we're working on for the last four years and trying to coordinate that logistics thing has been an incredible journey. Uh, it's taken way longer than I ever expected, but it's because it is so complicated and there is so many farms. But the other thing is, and people don't realize is the reason I asked you about all the vegetables and fruits and stuff on your farm and animals is Georgia can actually grow such a diverse group of fruits and vegetables and animals compared to other states. I think California is probably the only other one I know of that has the diversity that you guys have. So talking to you guys yeah. as farmers is, is pretty amazing because you guys grow so much and, and other people are like, yeah, there's other states that grow it, but I don't, it's not the whole as much ability year round. And when you talked about the weather, in some ways the weather helps with that, but I can see also why a we changing weather patterns can, why the weather is changing. And that's for a different podcast and a scientific one, which I am not, but almost like you in Georgia, I just really feel like there's a, a good thing coming and getting your products around that, you know, it's one of the reasons I love talking to you guys because I'm a one I'm interested in. You know, it's all the reason you know, if I would say I'm giving back, yes, of course, and helping out other entrepreneurs farming and doing it in the right way. I'm like, okay, these are people that I would want to do business with. The care of your animals, the way you let them frolic, you know, on their own, for lack of better, to me, leads to better food um, and a better fed animal and a being very much into nutrition and, and healthy food. And, and as a company, we five across the country in all of our facilities. So it's a huge task based on the volume. You know, hearing that you guys are, are doing it and have grown and, and stuff like that, you know, on this podcast, because I want to focus on you guys. But I would like to okay. obviously continue the conversation. Um, you know, I'd love to, to be able to procure your, your products and things like that there. And I think you know, I think we're going to see something that Georgia is going to be able to do something culture into the schools and into the universities and institutions and mainly talk about supporting local economies and, and building economies and, and rural development and eco manufacturing like every other state is and trying to bring in manufacturers, which Georgia does. What they're really saying is agriculture. We focus on this and bring it into our system instead of importing all this food into our, our well as once Georgia lifts that up, how it expands to other states and around the world. So just a side note, and I, I sort of geeked it up there, but it really, I'm like a, a total nerd when it comes to everyone in Georgia. Like this is what everyone's doing for the state of Georgia is just so amazing. So now, yeah, I, would agree. I, now I got myself all dry <laughs> mouth. And so, cause I, when it comes to food distribution and, um, and production, but I do, I have a 12 year old son. 12-year-old son. So does he work on the farm? To, you know, actually like it. <laughs> want him to, you know, maybe one day do it if he wants to. But yeah. he does help out at market. And he's uh, really good at business. Um, but he does help some. He, but I don't force him to do intense 
manure management or anything <laughs> like that. I, I wanted to enjoy the farm and not hate it. No, no, I totally, I totally understand that growing up on a farm myself. And the reason I just, well, one of the reasons I ask is because obviously you're farming the whole time. So, and both you and your husband are in the oh, business. Yeah, right there with me. Yeah. So, I mean, it's obviously, and he's picking up all of this and he's learning and seeing you guys grow food and organics and, and healthy animals and, you know, what it takes to be, you know, you know, an entrepreneur really. And I just think it's so huge to pass on. And we talk a lot about, you know, being able to pass on the entrepreneurial journey and, and farming and stuff to our children, because it's not something that they can learn in school. So I think that's awesome. And that's the whole reason I ask it. And, uh, and having him find it on his own, I think is awesome too. It just, it takes a while. I swore I would never get into food and I would never get into farming and I would never do all these things. Even when I was in college, I'm like, I'm not going back to that. And, you know, lo and behold, I am 100% in food and, and 100% into farming and 100% into the logistics of food and foods my whole life. And there was a time where I, I didn't want anything to do with any of it. I'm like, I grew up in it. I can't, I don't want to do this, but it was truly what ended up happening deep inside. And it was pretty amazing. So um, yeah, I, I hope my son discovers it himself and, and wants to be a part of it. So, and he seems to enjoy working. You know, yeah, I think um, doing things. He loves it, things like that. I think he'll come around. <laughs> a twelve-year-old's an interesting age. It's a lot of changes going on there as a male. That's for sure. At least from my memories, oh, it was yeah. probably my most awkward years. <laughs> and oh my gosh, um, just unknowns. <laughs> so. <laughs> So I feel for him, <laughs> definitely. Uh, those were probably the most awkward years of my growing up, but uh, around that age, you know, the 12 to 14-year-old age, um, and coming into your oh, own, yeah. really. It's such a weird time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I feel for him. So um, let's talk about... Uh, <laughs> Uh, let's we let's talk about the farming again a little bit, and when we talked about some of the hardships. So, if you could go back 19 years ago and tell yourself what you know now, or some of the things you wish you knew then, uh, what would they be? Oh, I know I, I st- everyone gets stumped on this question. What would they be? Um, maybe take a little more time for yourself, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I don't know that I would change anything in the journey. Um, I, I would definitely say, you know what? It's okay to stop what you're doing and take a few more vacations. <laughs> Probably what I would tell myself, take a little more time off. Um, even though a farm is so demanding. But I don't know that I would change anything on the journey. I really don't. I think, yeah, no, take more time for myself. That would be it. Uh, no, actually, that's interesting because um, one of the things you said is not change anything because, I mean, if you went back and changed anything, obviously it would change where you are now. So um, I do like that, actually. Um, so... What what things do you think that are important in in being an entrepreneur and and how do you you know 
is it all farmers markets and how you market your product or is it you know how do you have a website and how do people find you on social media and things like that well for me most of our our sales are still restaurants so it's a lot of wholesale to restaurants the majority of our and in of our business we also do a csa that's another big part of it um with vegetables and meat um and then the farmers markets are are a great way to get everybody on board with what you're doing and educating people every week and so they can see you and, and what you're doing and you know you can talk about it with them at the farmers market um and the website's just where people go. For me, it's just been where my CSA people sign up. They can read a little bit about the farm. Um, but most of how I've gathered customers has been just talking to people, word of mouth. That's how we've done it. Is you know, people talk about us. We talk about what we do, and um, Atlanta's a big word of mouth community, so that works. Um, and social media, ugh, I can never seem to get it right. <laughs> but I know it's a thing. A lot of people love to do the Facebook and Instagram, and, and um, we're working more and more with that with Chop Shop because that's kind of how it's driven. But it's good, you know. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I'm not very good at it either. Well, I just actually had the whole group of Georgia College students, um, the marketing graduating seniors, three teams, put together marketing plans on how to market the podcast because, and do the social media and and all that because I'm obviously doing it and doing a fairly decent job. I just have no clue really what I'm doing in in that. I mean, I. I have a lot of expertise in it, and when I say I don't know what I'm doing, I have a really good idea of, of how to make it succeed and push stuff and, and all of that, but the thing is, is things change so rapidly, and as the newer generations yeah. come into it, like what is popular and, and how to post and what hashtags and all that are just so such a moving target that I really actually was looking at them that like, okay, you're the up-and-coming generation. What is it that you want to see? What is it that you would do? Because, you know, as a person that's been in food and beverage my whole life and actually as a working professional 19 years, um, I'm a little out of touch at what, you know, what would drive them and what's going on. And actually, it's really cool in that there is a lot of, you know, wanting healthier food options and, and wanting healthier options in their universities. And so I thought that was pretty yeah. cool, actually, as a side note, because um, we talked about it. But social media is a, a whole beast in, of, in and of its own. And I probably need to find someone to just do a podcast educational episode on just social media because, you know, I'm going to probably do one and, and, and get the Georgia College students to do their own episodes. But it's really very difficult because there's so many different venues and each venue requires something different. And it's, so you're managing all these media channels and before you used to have a, you know, a marketer or a marketing department, just do it, but we don't need to do that anymore or waste the money. So we do it all of ourselves. But I do say, I would say that I do follow you guys on Instagram and, uh, and on Facebook and obviously, because you were going to be on the podcast, I wanted to make sure I, I had my information. But I do think you do a great job on social media. I think, you know, it's harder now with the way the algorithms have changed. So you can't quite touch as many people 
uh, as you used to, yeah. you know, as easily, which is, you know, obviously sad because the the only way to do it is to pay for it. And I, I think it was awesome the way it was before, but that's just me. But I guess everyone's got to make money somehow. And, uh, but it, I think you are, you yeah. know, I think you are doing a great job. So, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm like, okay, when I was talking to Rusty and he told me about Rivery Farms and I looked you guys up, I'm like, we need to get them on the podcast. And, you know, and that's why I mentioned you guys on there in the notes because I'm like, okay, what they're doing in the full circle farming, which Rusty had also mentioned on his, but we didn't get into full details, which is why I wanted to ask you. But it's really cool what you guys are doing. And I think that if more farmers, you know, transition their farms into more full circle farming and less on large scale of, of a few, you know, fruits and vegetables, which is also why I asked you a variety because so many out there are just, okay, it's corn this season, soy beans that season and wheat that season, but it doesn't need to be that way. And people are coming around to what you're doing. And I think it's so cool. And you're, you know, you're 19 years in, so obviously you have a huge advantage. And I do myself remember, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands, um, boom in organics, I would say, or, I don't know if it was a boom or the, I would call it the pioneering age. Although some people have been in it since um, the eighties and nineties, uh, some of the real pioneers, but you know, I, I worked on an organic farm as a summer job because I wanted the experience and food and understanding it. And through that, you know, I was like, okay, entrepreneurial attitude, let's do fruit stands and, and vegetable stands. So that was, you know, so I then, you know, had four fruit stands and vegetable stands to sell it on the side of the road doing my own thing because I was like, you know what, like this is really going to become popular and people, why not sell it directly to consumers and people are going to love the thing to do, which is funny because at the same time I was saying I didn't want to be in food and I would never go in the food business, but yet I'm um, being an entrepreneur and seeing an opportunity and and having fruit stands and vegetable stands on the side of the road all throughout Maryland. And so, uh, just an interesting side note, you never know. I feel like it's what you said, like opportunity, you guys didn't intend to get in farming. It's just the opportunity came and you guys sort of jump, you know, into the pool without really knowing what you were doing, I guess, in some ways. And, uh, and just decided to go for it, which is, so many entrepreneurs journey there's an opportunity or it's an accident or they just do something and then next thing you know they're like okay people like what i'm doing and that's what people you know when people say do what you love and and then you'll make money and be an entrepreneur i think what really ends up happening is you sort of have an idea of something you'd love or, or are passionate about and maybe it's a hobby or it's making beef jerky or it's making jellies and jams or in your case you know, trying to save a family business and you end up there and the path takes you down the entrepreneurial path. It's not something that sort of is just like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Let's do this. And I mean, there are people out there, but in food and beverage, I feel like it's more like you kind of stumble upon it, you know, and it's kind of sometimes an accident. I would say it's not intended. And, you know, for me, it's always been that way. All the companies we formed and started or, or whatever, it's sort of like, an accident because we stumbled into something and we're like, okay, like we need this for our restaurants. And, 
oh, no one's offering this for our food trucks or our restaurants. Like, uh, we should create that business, you know, and next thing you know, we're in a point of sale business for iPads and, and so on and so forth. So it's one of those things where, you know, I think it's probably the same in farming. It's okay. There's not, we can grow cows, like you said, or raise cows. I don't know what the proper term is actually. I don't know if you grow a cow or you raise a cow, (laughs) but, um, but, uh, I think it's really cool what you guys are doing there on the farm. And, uh, and so anyone who wants to look it up, it's at Riverview Farms, I believe, on, on Instagram. And it's just so cool. And I'll put a link, obviously, on the episode notes. But I do really appreciate you taking the time to be on here, Charlotte, and share your story. Well, and, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And, uh, and I'm going to reach out to you and Rusty here soon to try to maybe do your episode and then right after your episode, do an episode on chop shop. So maybe I can get you guys coordinated and we can do an episode on that as well, because I think it's so awesome the way the two of you have come together and, and done a retail store. And, uh, I think a lot more people should do what you guys are doing, but I don't want to give away your secrets and obviously, but (laughs) It is really cool, and uh, I don't think anyone would ever be able to imitate it because you guys are so far down the road, and, and Rusty has so much experience in, in doing what he's doing now that uh, that it's yeah. really incredible. So, you know, you can't uh, – as, yeah. as people ask me, am I afraid all the time because I'll let people tour the kitchens and sure take photos and, and all that, and they're like, oh, you don't worry about people copying you? It's the, here's the reality. And, and really it's no one grew up like me. No one grew up doing the business we did. No one understands all the knowledge I have. So they can go try to imitate whatever they want. They're still not you. And that's what I believe with you guys at you know, Riverview farms and with rusty, it's like people can try to imitate it. It doesn't matter. It's that it's never going to be you guys. And so I think your quality of your products, again, I just want to emphasize to the audience, is so amazing. So if you want to try the the products coming out, obviously they can get it in some of the restaurants around Atlanta. I'll plug Pine Street Market just because they were on the podcast. And then obviously Chop Shop because you guys are doing it together. But seriously, and I believe Rusty ships the product all over the place now. Um, I'll have to go back and check on that. But so... You can get it online as well and order those products and the and the bacon jam and, and things like that. So full circle farming to full circle consumption. You know, Rusty's using all the parts that he gets as well. So everyone in the audience, try the bacon jam. It's awesome. It was worth winning. And uh, try the bacon and anything else you can from Chop Shop and from Pine Street Market because they are Riverview Farms products. So... Thank you again, Charlotte. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You have a great day. Thank you. You too. And everyone in the audience, if you want to be on the podcast or you have any questions, you can reach out to me at justin at thefoodentrepreneurs.com. And this is Justin, the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. Mm -hmm.